Hi everyone, and welcome to the season finale of Wordplay. In this episode, I will be recapping the content discussed throughout the season. I have enjoyed hosting the season of Wordplay, and hope you will continue to listen as a new host will take over in the spring. Now let's go on to recapping this season. In our first episode, I interviewed Stephanie, a tutor in the Writing Center, as we discussed some common misconceptions about writing. For this episode, we wanted to debunk these misconceptions as sometimes students can get overwhelmed with writing when it may not be something they feel confident doing because they would be buying into other misconceptions. Stephanie and I talked about the misconceptions that the best writers only have one draft because they always write perfectly the very first time. Here's a refresher on how Stephanie debunks this misconception. But the five paragraph structure is just also very limiting. You can't do a lot within the confines of that template, depending on how meaty, so to speak, your topic is. You're going to need more page length, more words, more paragraphs to be able to go over everything. Great writers know that their work is not going to be perfect in the first draft, but with revising and editing, each draft can become perfect until it's a final product. In this episode, we also discussed the common misconceptions that the five-paragraph essay is the only acceptable structure for an academic paper. While the five-paragraph essay is a way to structure your paper, it is not the only one and can be very limiting depending on your topic. We rarely get our final draft written the first time we write anything. That's not even the way most of us think. We are constantly revising the way we think and the way that we look at the world. So it, it goes without saying that we should also do that with our writing. Revise it all the way up until it's due. We hope that from this episode, students can feel more confident about their writing skills and styles. In our second episode, I interviewed Drew, the producer of this season, and she and I covered each step in the writing process. This serves as a guide for when you may be experiencing writer's block, or may be unsure of what to do next when writing academic papers, or even during creative writing. The drafting phase of the writing process is where you begin to write down all of your ideas and add more to the skeleton of your work from the outlining process. Drew and I shared how we approach the drafting process, and here's a refresher on my approach. The first thing that I do when I start drafting is that I just, I don't even think about grades, paper, prompt, anything, right? I can't, well, of course, I kind of think of like the main thing that I'm trying to talk about, but I just put ink to paper, just pure train of thought, like anything that comes to mind, put it down. By disregarding the pressure of grades, due dates, and prompts, I can really focus on what I'm trying to say in my paper and let my ideas flow. Now, this approach may not work for everyone, but it is something you can consider if you feel overwhelmed when starting the drafting phase. In this episode, Drew and I discussed the distinction between editing and revising, which I think is important to emphasize here again. Editing is fixing grammar or punctuation mistakes, while revising is a literal reimagining of your paper. Revising can mean restructuring your paper or even changing your thesis to something more appropriate to the topic, because sometimes, once we start writing, the thesis that we had intended may not relate to what we actually ended up arguing for. We hope this episode helped guide you through the writing process, and also for offering different ways on how you can approach it. In our third episode, I interviewed Jeriel, a recent graduate from Winthrop University with a degree in English. We talked about creative writing mentorship and different elements related to creative writing. A topic we covered in this discussion was the similarities between academic writing and creative writing, as sometimes we feel that the two are completely different. 
Here's a refresher on what Jerry O had to say about these similarities. Creative writing is very much similar in the, in the same way, and I think that's something that people really try to separate academic and creative writing into these different categories, but I think there are a lot of ways where they can be conjoined, and that structure and that feeling of generating tension and generating interest in the reader, that's consistent in fiction and academic and really any type of writing you do. Understanding these similarities allows us to take both our academic and creative writing steps further. Another thing Jeriel and I talked about in this episode was how to mentor someone's creative writing and how to handle criticism of your own creative work. When mentoring in creative writing, you have to consider the importance of understanding the writer's style rather than simply fixing the issues on the paper. You can work towards this understanding by asking questions of the writer and then start giving advice and criticism on the work. When it comes to handling criticism of your own creative work, it's important to remember that everyone has areas of improvement with any skill, and it does not mean that you are a bad writer. You know, if you if you like write a bad piece of fiction, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that the content is bad. Maybe it's meaning, maybe it's how tension is displayed, but that doesn't reflect back on you as a writer. This episode was a look into all things creative writing, and we hope that you were able to take away some mentorship tips and learn more about the elements that go into creative writing. Our fourth episode was our Halloween special, where I interviewed the head of the Winthrop Writing Center, Dr. Ralston, and we discussed the horror genre. In this episode, we covered some cliches in horror and how they are used effectively or ineffectively within the genre. Here's a refresher on what Dr. Ralston had to say about cliches. So one of the things that's really great about something like Scream as a franchise is it's taking those cliches and, you know, really using them in a purposeful way or pointing pointing them out as cliches, right? So one example is the killer isn't really dead when you think that they're right, dead, right. right? Like that's one of those kinds of things. And so there are ways maybe you can work those cliches, but I think you have to have something to, as a reader or as a viewer, you have to have something to identify with. You have to have something to kind of hold on to. And I do think maybe that that is why I still really like those stories that fall into this kind of haunted atmospheric place because I do think you know sometimes our own grief or our own insecurities or our own baggage is the one thing that we don't really want to face and I think a lot of those stories like those ghost stories are really kind of working working that out. Sometimes cliches can offer a point of humor or relatability to ease the tension and suspense within a horror story as they are things a reader or viewer can identify with or laugh about. Clichés, however, can also be ineffective and ruin a story because the reader or viewer can feel like the work is unimaginative because clichés are so overused. Something else Dr. Ralston and I talked about in this episode was how to make a sympathetic protagonist in a horror film, which is another way a writer can create relatability between a reader or a viewer and the work at hand. Here's Dr. Ralston talking about something Alfred Hitchcock and Stephen King do interestingly with their protagonist. Something Hitchcock really did very well was sort of skew your expectations of like who it is that you're rooting for, who your protagonist is. It's something Stephen King does really well in many of his novels. Like the, the person who's story you're following or the person whose eyes you're seeing it through is not always who you want to survive in the end, which is a really interesting kind of 
spot to put your reader or viewer in if you're right working this whole kind of story around them and whatever it is you want your reader to feel about the the protagonist or the main character it has to really work so if you're creating an unlikable character you know right. whatever happens like everything else around that has to work or you know you're going to close the book stop the film walk out you know whatever right. it is you do so when thinking about creating a sympathetic protagonist you have to consider other elements of the work in order to see if you can do something interesting with a protagonist that is more unlikable in nature. This episode was definitely one of my favorites, as I got to talk about something that was really interesting to me, and I hope that all of you enjoyed listening as well and learning more about the horror genre. In our fifth episode, I interviewed Becca, an English education major at Winthrop, and we took a deep dive into the genre of poetry. We talked about some misconceptions that people have when it comes to reading or writing poetry. One misconception is that free verse isn't poetry, which ties into the misconception that every poem has to rhyme. Here's a refresher on what Becca had to say about these misconceptions. But I understand why people say it's not poetry because there's the like there's some misconception that poems always have to rhyme and I I personally love free verse cuz I feel like it gives you so much more freedom to express yourself rather than having to be tied down to the rhyme. Don't get me wrong, I love a good rhyme, but I that's just I'm just not when I write poetry, I'm just I can't do the rhyme. I can't. Poetry is such a versatile genre and embraces so many different writing styles, so not every poem has to have a unique structure or rhyme to earn the right to be called poetry. Some poems even follow a narrative structure or only have three lines, but they still can have the same effect on a reader. Sometimes, however, students have difficulty enjoying reading or writing poetry because they have only ever been exposed to older poetry that follows the more traditional mechanics of the genre, which can also be a little boring. I think they don't know different options, and I think that they've been exposed to quote-unquote really boring poetry. Right. They, they haven't gotten a chance to be exposed to, like, modern poets. I think that if high school teachers and professors alike combined classic poetry and modern poetry, students would be exposed to more diverse writing styles and authors that they can relate to, which will make them more and more interested in the genre. We hope that this discussion on poetry has debunked some common misconceptions that you may have brought and encourages you to read more poetry and perhaps even write some of your own. In our final episode, I invited Becca back to do another interview about writing for unconventional media. In this episode, unconventional media refers to any writing that you normally don't think about and falls outside of academic or creative fiction or nonfiction writing. Becca and I talked about some problems that writers can run into when writing for unconventional media, as many elements are under consideration on top of the writing. For example, Becca and I talked about the issues that can arise with dialogue, particularly in video game writing and playwriting. Sometimes, like, one of the things that I find about video games and, and kind of like a, um, a sin of a lot of writing, especially when it comes to media, is the exposition dump, right? And I noticed this a lot in uh, Red Dead Redemption as well, because that's the one video game I have. Sadly, I haven't played The Last of Us yet. We'll want to play that, but... Highly suggested. In Red Dead Redemption, sometimes what will happen is that between 
uh, action scenes, they'll have like a whole thing where it's like one character just telling a whole lot of backstory about something that you know. It's okay. You can right. say Dutch. You, you right can about Dutch. About things. no spoilers about Dutch or like anyone else in the story. Um, and about what's going on. And I get why they do that. It's to tell us like the information that we need to know. But on the other hand, it also feels kind of like telling, not showing. And the one thing that my lovely playwright professor, what he specifically told us, and I what I took away is that it's really tempting to do that dumping of exposition especially when it's like really heavy dialogue and it's not action and that's really hard when you're on stage and you can't really do a lot of quote-unquote action but he very much emphasized that showing is better than telling for any writer balancing action and exposition can be really tricky but it is incredibly important to avoid telling your reader about your characters when possible because the best characterization happens through action. Later in the episode, Becca and I talk about some of the elements you have to consider when writing for unconventional media and how these elements change the writing process. Particularly with playwriting, you have to consider how the dialogue is going to be performed. Here's a refresher on what Becca said about considering blocking with playwriting. Uh, blocking definitely, as you said, it does play a really big role into the whole writing process because you, know, you got to think about like mics, is it going to be able to pick up? But other things that you have to consider, um, let's just say, let's just keep with playwriting, is if the if like the audience is going to be able to hear you because the big difference I would say that I learned from play from acting on a stage and acting on TV, as you probably saw in all those TikToks is are are those people going to be able to hear you in the back so the type of writing you're going to do it the words sometimes words specific words soft words cannot be projected into the back so right. you've got to take into account of that and also your fellow actors if they're going to be able to hear you when writing for unconventional media the writing process does look a lot different than with creative fiction or nonfiction and academic writing because of these elements that are at play. These elements are what make these mediums so interesting and set them apart from other types of writing. Well, that is all the time that we have left for this season's recap. We hope that you have enjoyed the content that we have discussed this season and that you will tune in for the next season and what the new host of Wordplay will bring. As always, thank you so much for listening and it has been a pleasure being your host. Remember, ride on. Thank you.